Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Matthew Gavidia, Associate Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. Despite being the leading cause of death among women, cardiovascular disease is largely unrecognized by female patients, with education and awareness around risk factors and symptoms particularly lacking in women of color. Physicians have also been cited to underestimate cardiovascular risk in women who present with a different disease course versus men. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we speak with Dr. Joanne Armstrong, Vice President and Chief Medical Officer for Women's Health and Genomics at CVS Health, on the distinct pathophysiology of cardiovascular disease in women, applicability of current screening and care delivery guidelines for heart health in regards to minority populations, and how her own health experiences have influenced her perspective on cardiovascular disease management. Welcome to Managed Carecast, Dr. Armstrong. Can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work? Hi, thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm Joanne Armstrong. I'm the Chief Medical Officer and the Vice President for Women's Health at CVS Health. I'm an, a, a practicing obstetrician gynecologist for 25 years or so. I'm also a mother, wife, daughter. So I wear many hats like almost all women in this country. Um, uh, but, um, you know, I recognize from both my professional and personal perspectives, you know, that women are the chief health officers and the chief officers of many types in their family. So um, what I do at CVS Health is elevate um, the needs of women in a healthcare setting, uh, thinking about what solutions we can bring uh, to make care more accessible easier, more affordable, and more personalized, which are some of the particular barriers that women face in their very busy and challenging lives to sort of take care of, you know, get healthcare for themselves. So that's, uh, that's my role at CBS Health and uh, what we're trying to bring forward. And in marking uh, National Women's Health Week, which runs from May 8th to the 15th this year, your role at CVS Health focuses on uh, women's health overall, but cardiovascular diseases in particular is a topic you are passionate about. Can you speak on distinct healthcare considerations for women regarding heart health? How have you worked to prioritize these concerns in your role? So yes, we we are prioritizing heart health um, because of its prevalence. The fact that as much of 80% of it is potentially avoidable. And there are some unique elements in terms of risk factors, uh, presentation of heart disease in women and outcomes of women that if we um, focus on and address those those issues, we have an opportunity to improve health in a very meaningful way for women. So, you know, if I may just sort of dive into a few of those things, Uh, you know, cardiovascular disease is very common. It is the leading cause of death for women in the United States. About 300,000 women die every year from cardiovascular disease. That's about one in every five. It is common even in young people, um, as much as 6% of women after the age of 20 have have cardiovascular disease, and it increases as we age, but it is not only a problem in older women. Uh, We're starting to see the rise of cardiovascular death in women that are less uh, less than age 65. And it's thought to be due to sort of an increase in some of the underlying risk factors and comorbidities like high cholesterol and uh, diabetes and obesity. Um, and these are um, clinical issues that we see rising in the population in general. So there's a lot of cardiovascular disease. That's the first reason to focus on it. 
The second one is cardiovascular disease in women, particularly, is often underappreciated or underestimated. Um, and of course, the key to lowering the, the prevalence and the morbidity of it, the mortality of it, is recognizing, you know, being educated about risk factors, recognizing the signs of it, and then addressing it. Um, only about 50% of women, 56% of women recognize that heart disease is their number one killer. And concerningly, the appreciation of cardiovascular disease as a major um, cause of mortality for women is actually decreasing and not increasing. So that shows you that there's an opportunity to really increase awareness of what this is and why it's different in women uh, compared to men. And why it's different is because our physiology is a little bit different in some regards as it affects cardiovascular disease. Our risk factors um, can be different. There's a unique set of risk factors that are aligned to our own um, physiology that are in women only, and that's important for women to know and act on. And then uh, really important is how um, heart disease presents in women versus men. So that if you're actually having a heart attack, there is the opportunity to uh, recognize it immediately and seek care. Because with a heart attack, which is essentially the occlusion of, uh, of, of blood vessels that uh, bring oxygen to the heart, the longer it's occluded, the more heart muscle you lose. So time is really important. Just a few things about the physiology of heart disease in women versus men. You know, uh, historically, by which I mean 60 years ago or so, we thought that women were just small men, but we are not small men. We have very different physiologies, both our heart size and um, some of the structure of where disease takes place. Uh, we are more likely, for example, to have cholesterol buildup in our small blood vessels, which are called microvascular disease versus the largest one. And so when these like plaques rupture, the presentation of our symptoms can be very different from men. And while we all have very similar, um, you know, the common presentations of a heart attack in men and women are similar, you know, chest pain, usually it's, you know, behind your sternum or your breastbone, pressure, squeezing, et cetera. Women are more likely to have what are called atypical symptoms um, of heart disease or, or of a heart attack. Um, and those things can be, you know, shortness of breath, lightheadedness, nausea, um, sweating, sense of anxiety. Um, and e women and even their physicians can miss those symptoms and do miss those, um, those symptoms um, pretty easily. Um, and so, you know, educating people about symptom recognition is really, really important. Only about 50% of women having a heart attack recognize those symptoms as a heart attack in progress. And interestingly, women are much more likely to say when they're actually, you know, studies show that when they're actually having a heart attack to, to attribute those symptoms to things like um, anxiety, maybe nervousness, some other um, medical issue, but not a heart disease. Whereas men are more likely to say, this feels like a heart attack, or this could be a heart attack. And then the same is true for, for physicians that even when they are taking care of a patient with a heart attack in progress, physicians are more likely to label the symptoms of a woman to be something other than a heart attack compared to men. So super important that education is, um, is a, a part of what, um, what we bring to women. Um, and that is actually one of the things that we're, we're trying really hard to do is to increase the awareness of 
cardiac like physiology, uh, risk factors, and uh, symptoms of heart disease, as well as you know prevention strategies. Can you speak further on the uh, risk factors of heart disease in women versus men? Yes. Um, so while um, common risk factors for cardiovascular disease are the same in men and women, there are a unique set of risk factors that are present in women only. So the common ones and the really important ones are uh, smoking, hypertension, uh, diabetes, um, high cholesterol, uh, being overweight or obese, um, and physical inactivity. And um, they are, you know, they are very important, very important. And the prevention of those um, is also very important to prevention strategies for cardiovascular disease. For example, not smoking decreases your risk of lifetime cardiovascular disease by about 70% or so. Exercising uh, regularly decreases it by about a third. So that is common across both men and women. But um, there are unique life events in women that only women um, um, have these particular sets of risk factors. And those things include the development of hypertension while you're pregnant, that's called gestational hypertension, uh, gestational diabetes, having a preterm birth, experiencing early menopause. So those only happen in the female life journey and they are important and independent risk factors for heart disease. Um, for example, you know, as we talk about high blood pressure, gestational hypertension, uh, there's this variant that's called preeclampsia. It's a form of very severe um, high blood pressure that happens only in pregnant women and it's, it goes away only after a woman delivers the baby. Um, having preeclampsia increases the lifetime risk of um, cardiovascular disease by um, about 70% over the, um, um, over the course of her life. For uh, gesta gestational diabetes or diabetes that happens in pregnancy, the lifetime risk is about tenfold of uh, developing diabetes after, uh, you know, sometime during the rest of your life. A preterm birth will do the same thing. So these are really important risk factors. Um, then there are other conditions that while they're not unique to women, they happen much more commonly in women like autoimmune disease um, that also increase your risk for a lifetime of cardiovascular disease. But a lot of women don't really appreciate that. So what's really important uh, with these risk factors are that women understand that they are risk factors for um, cardiovascular disease over the course of one's life. Um, and as an obstetrician, we call this um, pregnancy is a window into our future health. And it's not just our future reproductive health, but our future cardiovascular, metabolic health, et cetera. And that we should, uh, and we need to carry these risk, this understanding of risk factors forward. Um, so when you are no longer uh, you know, having children, that your primary care provider understands that because you had preeclampsia, you're at increased risk, for example, of um, developing cardiovascular disease. And to follow on what you just mentioned, uh, the impact of cardiovascular disease among minority populations was uh, also one of the stark discussion points you address in a recent article you co-authored on AGMC.com. Can you speak a little bit on your overall experiences as a practicing OBGYN and health policy expert in managing the health needs of underserved populations? Yeah, so, you know, as I said, I, I have spent 25 years as a practicing OBGYN, uh, almost all in underserved, uh, low resource uh, populations. And I, I think 
you know, my experience there is that we, we have this tendency in medicine to think of patients in very segmented ways, you know, as, you know, the cardiac patient or the metabolic patient or the, you know, the lung patient, the patient who happens to be pregnant. Um, and in fact, our medicine is delivered around specialty types, right? What we are not very good at is thinking about patients really holistically. And so holistically is, you know, their physiology, their actual bodies, right? But it's also the environment in which we practice and we live, right? Where we spend almost all of our time in our lived environment and maybe once a year or very infrequently come into a physician office and yet we're organized around sort of organ systems. So the reason why this is really important for all women, you know, I started by saying we all women have challenges with time management, access to care. You know, we always prioritize ourselves last. We almost have to as like the chief health officer of the whole family. Um, but the other issues that happen in our external environment are things like, um, you know, socioeconomic issues, uh, you know, SDOH issues, what the lived experience is, the levels of stress that we have, the access to food and healthcare, um, transportation issues so that we can get to, um, to our clinical care. And then of course, all the other things that we have to do as caregivers um, in the rest of our lives. So you know what I observe for sure in my clinical practice and some of the policy issues that we're, we're trying to think about is how do we overcome these access barriers and bring the whole patient into care. You know, how that relates to black patients is like uh, white patients, white women, cardiovascular disease is a leading cause of death. And about, about half of black women in the US have some form of heart disease. And I think it's really important that we emphasize the fact that these are modifiable risk factors. We're not born with genes. You know, black women, for example, are not born with any sort of gene that increases the risk of cardiovascular disease. It's a lot of this is in the environmental um, issues that we bring uh, to bear. So again, access to care, access to good uh, nutrition, education, affordability of care, diet, et cetera. You mentioned several issues impeding equitable cardiovascular health care, including access barriers and the lack of holistic strategies. How would you describe the applicability of current guidelines regarding screening and care delivery for cardiovascular disease in women overall and in regards to uh, minority populations as well? Overall, there is a way, we have a way to go for full adherence to best practices for the prevention and the treatment of heart disease in all women and in minority communities. Um, women are, um, we know from the published literature that women are um, less likely to recognize symptoms of heart disease when it's happening. We just talked about that and why that is so important acting in a timely way. We also know that physicians are less likely to label a heart attack in women compared to men. When there is a delay in recognizing the symptoms of a heart attack as it's unfolding, it means that there is a delay in the intervention that really protects and saves heart muscle, which is cardiac catheterization to open up those blood vessels. We know that we have a long way to go to full adherence uh, to best practices for the prevention and treatment of heart disease in women. Uh, women at any age, um, particularly actually younger women, um, are noted to have the following gaps in the adherence to uh, guidelines. Uh, number one is the recognition of the signs and symptoms of a heart attack while it's happening. 
And we talked about that earlier, why that is so important. We also know that physicians are less likely uh, to label a woman having a heart attack as someone who's having a heart attack compared to a man. The reason why that is important is because the next step is to seek urgent you know, emergency care because the intervention is um, what's called a catheterization to open up um, coronary arteries. We also know that women are less likely to get aspirin within 24 hours of a heart attack, less likely to leave the hospital with lipid lowering therapy, um, less likely to leave the hospital with controlled hypertension. So these are kind of standards um, and there may be many factors that drive that, but that we see that. When you take communities that have access challenges, um, you can imagine that all of these things are amplified. And that's just what I'm describing is, is what standards are essentially to treat somebody who has a heart attack, right? Is either actively having a heart attack or being cared for in post-discharge care. Um, in terms of screening, prevention, access to care, uh, we know that all of these factors are worse in um, communities of color and communities with lower um, socioeconomic opportunities. And along with your professional career, uh, cardiovascular health is something that has had significant personal implications in your life as well. Can you speak further on this? Yes, um, I had severe preeclampsia with my uh, first child. Um, and I said, said earlier that um, uh, severe preeclampsia increases my risk, my lifetime risk of hypertension and stroke very significantly. Um, what's interesting and important is that I've never been asked by my primary care physician what my obstetrical history is. And uh, from an OBGYN perspective, patients sort of move on as you get past childbearing ages, that history sort of gets lost, even though gestational hypertension is a very important risk factor for future risk. So, um, you know, one of the reasons why I'm very motivated in the area of preeclampsia is, you know, it's a, it's obviously it's a, a personal story of mine, but it's a very common disorder, you know, three to 6% of the population will experience this. Um, 60% more common in minority populations. Intervention is relatively simple and inexpensive, and it carries lifetime risk um, that's modifiable. So um, I'm a very strong advocate of recognizing, you know, promoting risk factor um, education and identification in women and making sure that they advocate for themselves during their life journey uh, to make sure, you know, that, that their whole self is brought to their risk assessment. And you underscored a lot of the gaps in care for women. How did this experience influence your perspective on the female patient's journey, especially for those without any prior knowledge regarding heart health? Well, so clearly, um, clearly we've got a lot of work to do in education and um, awareness about risk factors and symptoms of heart disease in women, all women. Um, the, um, so how it's influenced my journey is I can see in, in my, my life, right? That, that um, what's reported in the literature is, is in fact what happened to me. And I am, you know, an educated and empowered um, healthcare consumer in a lot of ways. So, and that's just one, one disease that influences, you know, heart disease. There are many others. So I just, when I look at this, I just see how many prevention opportunities uh, we are missing. And uh, similarly on the ability to um, prevent death while heart disease, you know, while a heart attack is happening, 
that's another big opportunity that we're just missing on. And to follow on that, what unmet needs or barriers persist in building awareness on risk factors of cardiovascular disease in women? So it's imperative that uh, women receive better education about their own personal risk, both traditional risk factors and reproductive journey related risk factors. It's also imperative that women feel empowered to bring it up, that they have enough information, they can, they can bring it up, they know how to bring it up. Um, we need to educate on these uh, risk factors. Remember, minutes equal muscle. We have to make preventive care more accessible and more affordable, and that's both healthcare and the environmental issues um, that affect cardiovascular health, access to healthy food, access to um, uh, safe places to exercise, some time and space in a woman's life that you actually, one actually can go out and exercise. Um, smoking cessation, campaigns to, to decrease that and importantly, make sure that young people don't start smoking, right? You've got a short window to be convinced to be a smoker. So make sure that we get young people uh, through that. So solutions that increase the ease um, uh, and the access cost issues and the personalization of risk factor identification and prevention, I think are really key. And then the final thing that's uh, that another final thing, or one thing that's important is this issue of representation. It really matters. You know, in the past, um, cardiovascular disease was represented as a man's disease. You can almost imagine the images, right? A man walking out of a restaurant, his clenched fist over his chest, you know, the, the, the issue, you know, what's being visualized is, you know, it presents as substernal chest pain in men, um, you know, sometimes after eating. We don't have the similar images, like historically, of women experiencing heart disease. It was seen as a man's disease. Some of it is because the research only involved men. That changed a few decades ago, and we're starting to see the benefits of doing that. But, you know, representation does matter in how we talk about this, uh, the images that we see. Um, I think it's also important from a workforce perspective that that we um, have physicians of color, um, black, Hispanic, others in the workforce sort of driving home these messages. Everything that we can do to increase the awareness and have, have women understand that it's their disease too. And for those involved in health benefit design and care delivery, what strategies uh, do you consider should be top of mind regarding preventive cardiovascular care? So access to care is super important, you know, from, we've talked a lot about prevention and wellness strategies. That's, you know, that's very important. Um, uh, access to sort of blood pressure and metabolic screening. CVS Health is kicking off in, in Women's Health um, Week here, for cardiovascular screening in our minute clinics, blood pressure, and um, the blood work that goes along with metabolic screening, you know, cholesterol, glucose, et cetera. So increasing access where, where women um, live and work is, um, is uh, super important. And lastly, do you have any other thoughts? What I've tried to um, bring here is, you know, an appreciation of how common cardiovascular health is. 80% of it is preventable. To be preventable, one has to both understand the risks that need to be sort of prevented or mitigated. And importantly, we have to be realistic about solutions. You know, not every solution sits in a physician office. We spend most of our 
lives in our homes and in our communities with one or two office visits a year. So we have to bring health closer to patients, to women where they live. Um, and I think it's really important that we think about people as holistic, one, one whole person with their family, not sort of a heart or a lung, you know, a kidney. So um, I think as we move to these, like making care more accessible, we, you know, we, we have focused on a lot of preventive care in our minute clinics that are very deep in communities all over this country, come in for cardiovascular screening, diabetic screening, um, moving towards uh, digital care, um, telephonic care, where, um, where it makes sense. All of these things will address access barriers, cost barriers in many cases, and get care deeper into communities where it really matters where women live and work. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.